So today being Easter, I thought I'd give you some of the Easter story. At least the biblical account. Here it is. It's from Matthew 28. You can follow along up there. After the Sabbath, that the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. The appearance was like lightning, and the clothing was white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So I entered my senior year at boarding school just up the road here at the Hill School. I arrived to find one important thing missing. It was my roommate, Ian. He'd had a routine physical because he was a long-distance runner. They had found, literally the day before school began, a hole in his heart. Seventeen years old, about that big. Next day he went in for open-heart surgery. Now, at this point in our lives, our biggest concern was, frankly, where we were going to get into college. So this sort of threw a new wrinkle into it, and it really stayed with me. Ultimately, Ian was absolutely fine, but it really, really stuck with me. So many years later, when I had the opportunity to actually witness an open-heart surgery, I leapt at it. It was during my first year of hospital chaplaincy over the summer, and the facts were this. It was a quadruple bypass. A man was going in to have four veins or arteries taken from his legs and grafted onto his heart because the ones that were in his chest already were blocked. We were sort of like in that Seinfeld episode, perched above, looking down. We didn't have any junior mints, though. <laughs> sort of this octagonal kind of structure, looking down. And except for the play-by-play -play of the nurse, the cardiac nurse who was there, telling us what we were seeing, the rest of the time was in absolute silence. And we couldn't see the man who the operation was on. He was covered here and also, well, covered, you know, here, you know, decorum and all that. But other than that, he was spread out on the table, ready for us to take a look at him. His body sort of swathed in that plum kind of ointment, that antiseptic. And at one point, I won't get too graphic here, they spread open his chest. And there it was, beating. His heart. Now, some of you may know the way that open-heart surgery works is they have to use a heart-lung machine to keep the person alive. But the heart itself has to stop. i got to tell you, seeing that was more thrilling than any thriller I have ever seen. One of my fellow chaplains reached around and grabbed my shoulder right here, and my own fingers went right up to my pulse to make sure my own heart hadn't stopped. The surgery after that took about, took about five hours. 
And it was slow and kind of plodding at times, but it was absolutely fascinating. Towards the end, they use these kind of, uh, they look like big salad tongs. Sort of they get underneath the heart and they shock it back into its rhythm. Because at first, when they start it back up, it's going... And then it... So they have to get it back off of the arrhythmia. They have to get it back to a place where it's... Slowing down again. I gotta tell you, after I witnessed that, after I witnessed that open heart surgery, two things were in my mind and two things were in my heart. The first was that we ought to pay our heart surgeons like we pay our sports stars. The second was this, from the eighth Psalm, a poem of praise to the divine that speaks about the wonder of gazing upon the heavens and the work of your fingers. I was pondering those skilled fingers of the surgeon, the deft figurative fingers of God awestruck for the absolute complexity and wonder of human anatomy, for our circuitry that is inside of us, that is as graceful and as complex as the stars themselves that are arrayed in the heaven. What we had witnessed was something awry with this particular part of creation. This man's body that we saw laid out before us on the operating table, the delicate machinery was slightly off. And his physical life was imperiled as a result. The arteries had been blocked. They were stuffed up. And no constricted vessel can contain or carry life for very long. Without the surgery, we were told, he was going to die. The blood had to be carried through cleaner vessels. As is true of our heart, so is true of our spirit. We heard it today in the drama. we got to remove a bunch of stuff if we want the love to be able to carry on those channels to where it has to go. The soul that is constricted cannot bear the fruit of life, and nothing, nothing at all, makes life recoil from itself more than fear. More than fear, more than worry, more than anxiety. And in this succinct way, this is the absolute substance of what Jesus of Nazareth, what the rabbi of ancient Jerusalem was teaching. Nothing constricts. Nothing holds us down and holds us up like fear. It is fear that makes love impossible, and it is fear that makes the promise of life powerless. Fear is to our spirits what a blockage is to an artery, an impediment of that free flow of life that will not carry us to where we want and where we need to go. What's the first thing that we hear in the Gospel story this morning? What's the first thing that the angel says to Mary and to Mary at the tomb? Do not be afraid. What does Jesus speak to the disciples when he appears later? Do not be afraid. Maybe when we're doing that download, that install of love, we're afraid to let go of all that other stuff that we know so that the new programming can be a part of us. Already Jesus in the story is aware that fear might prohibit the good news of his rising from being shared. Fear in another gospel story actually discourages the woman from telling anyone. They just run away afraid. The message never gets out. But Jesus' teaching about fear and its relationship to our hearts, it actually is about much more than just the resurrection stories. Jesus keeps returning to fear and fear and fear again. Even before he lives, the words of Archangel Gabriel to Mary, his mom, Do not be afraid. In the sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus teaches this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. 
Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet God feeds them. Can any of you, can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. Perceive one way, maybe this sounds offensive. Is he saying that the people who are hungry? People who don't have a home? But it's not offensive because we really have to take account of what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that worrying, worrying, not thinking, but worrying about these things, that will consume you. Because we are capable of love as human beings, we have fear. Fear is always love's shadow, trailing after it, trailing our deepest commitments with the fear, the concern, the worry, with that nagging sense of loss. What if? What if it doesn't stay? What if it doesn't abide? What if it doesn't keep? Jesus is aware of our anxiety. It's the kind of fear known only to humans. Now, after the service, I hope you'll stay around and be able to meet our Easter bunny as one of my wife and my uh, rabbits. They're prey creatures, which means that everything in nature loves to eat them. They are scared of everything. A loud noise, a sudden movement, and literally their antenna, that's what they are, they go up. They rotate around. They try and see what the threat is. They try and see what the alarm is to see if it's okay. But rabbits are not anxious. Rabbits are just afraid. Only we can worry. Only we can be anxious. Only we can take fear and blow it so completely out of proportion that fear doesn't have an object or an end. Only we can worry. It's like that alarm system that keeps going off and keeps going off and keeps going off. Rather than possessing things then, this is what Jesus is talking about, rather than possessing things, things possess us. And we are filled with worry. Fear is the root in our society of jealousy and of greed. Because of fear, nothing can ever be enough. The Easter morning that we celebrate this day is about a life beyond fear. Love stronger than death. The story of the rising, and as a religious, liberal religious person, there are many stories of rising. This is not the only one. This story of rising has its roots, its roots in the ancient rhythm. You wouldn't know it from a day like today, but of the earth in springtime beginning to awaken itself once more. And this story, while it is grounded in the rhythms of nature, the story of the resurrection and the story of all resurrections, it transcends nature. For while we know that eventually it will get warm out there, and we'll be able to shed these outer garments, and we'll be able to wear shorts, we know that there is a certain amount of inevitability to that. We know that there is not always that sense of inevitability when our life is threatened, or grows cold, or dies. The invitation back to life in the Easter story, it is unexpected. The meaning of Easter may be a challenge for us when we are not prepared that we might even resist. Shock. Denial. No way. Won't accept it. That's why the answer is the first one that Jesus gives. Do not be afraid. Jesus knew and he taught that in living a fearful life, we're much like a hand that becomes clenched into a closed fist. And what happens to a closed fist? The thing that we try to hold on to so much, inevitably, we crush it under our grip. We hold on and we hold on and something else happens as well. Because all that time that we are holding on, our fist is balled and kept close to ourselves. We cannot extend outward. We cannot put the hand out there 
to greet one another, to welcome one another, to love one another. As the, as the economist would call it, that's the opportunity cost of living a fearful life. You can't have fear and love at the same time. A fist cannot meet the world. A fist can only block or a fist can only strike. In the long run, on this Easter day and all days, fear is the entombing of our hearts. Jesus taught the opposite of fear, that we might know in our lives that open and welcoming hand, that making wide of the path of our lives. This is where a word study actually helps us. The actual Hebrew word, we hear a lot about salvation this time of year. Maybe some of your friends have asked you, have you been saved? Do you need to come to my church to get saved? Well, I believe we can get saved right here if we understand what salvation means. It has nothing to do with otherworldliness, not original, not originally. Salvation means to make wide the way. That which was narrow and constricted, just like that arteries that are blocked, salvation means to open us up. Love makes wide the path of our lives and gives room for all of us to travel. At critical junctures in your life, I'm sure you've experienced it already, you will experience it again, life will offer us the possibility or the opportunity for healing. Which way will we turn? Towards the invitation or away from it in fear? Maybe we'll be like that original doubting Thomas who says, this can't be. There are no second chances. Life doesn't have happy endings. Maybe we tell ourselves these things because it's all that we know. Or we can choose to turn toward that change and grow towards that invitation. Turn, turn, turn. As the old song says, echoing the even more ancient scripture. That's what conversion means, to turn. To turn towards the good things in our lives. And then after, and as we start to do this, sort of like what Jesus does, we return to life. We return to what is there. Easter isn't really a story about the immortality of the soul. That's a Greek idea that precedes Christianity. Easter is about the love of life that is stronger than fear and loss and the fear of loss. If we spend most of our time debating, as perhaps we are want to do at times, did this really happen? If we spend most of our time debating about what really happened at that tomb 2,000 years ago, if we debate too much, myth or reality, delusion or the only truth that matters, we will miss, we will miss the truth of Easter, which applies to each of us and all of us. In the Gospel of Thomas, which is one of those books that didn't make it into the Bible, Jesus teaches about Easter without any reference to Easter at all. He says, That which you have within yourself will save you if you bring it forth from yourself. If you do not bring forth from yourself what is within you, what is within you will destroy you. Fear and love. A choice. This non-biblical Jesus, who some would say isn't real because he's not in the scripture, He's talking about denial, our modern word for it. He's talking about entombing our hearts, walling them up. He's talking about being so fearful that we hold on and we hold on with those balled up fists and never learn the secret, which is this, which is that only in giving life away can we learn to keep life by our side. It's like the old child's game, the old children's game. Come out, come out wherever you are. Come out of your tomb. Come out of your closet, come out of your fear, come out of your dying, come out of your despair. 
Bring out what is inside of you, and you will be saved. So yes, you can get saved in a Unitarian Universalist congregation. In fact, our secret that I wish we spread out more is that everyone is already saved. That's universalism. One of the earliest traditions about Easter involved the use of a Latin word, alba, which primarily meant white, and some of the scholars think that the reason that it was used is because the robes that the earliest celebrants of Easter used to wear were white. But there's another, another word for alba that translates, and it's better. It's beyond just the dictionary definition. Alba means sunrise. Alba means sunrise. Easter is the celebration of sunrise, a sunrise that is only un truly understood once we have known what darkness is, once we have known what despair is, once we have known, literally or figuratively, and very often is metaphorically in our lives, what life inside the tomb is like. And after that, we can celebrate the sunrise. Think about it, kids, maybe it's that moment before you take the test and you are scared out of your wits. Or maybe it's 3 a.m. in the morning and you're not sure what the job will hold, what the medical test will hold, what the next day will hold. Those are tomb moments. Those are tomb moments. Emily Dickinson, the great poet of religious life, put it like this, her words about sunrise and about Easter. Somehow myself survived the night and entered with the dawn. Somehow myself survived the night and entered with the dawn. Somehow, in spite of feeling wretched, like the hymn says, somehow in spite of feeling broken, somehow in spite of not feeling we are enough, somehow in spite of not having enough self-esteem, somehow in spite of not having enough love, somehow in spite of not having enough joy, somehow, fill in the blank that applies to you, somehow we enter. We enter the day, we greet the sunrise, and we can be reborn. We enter the day, greet the sunrise, and recognize and remember again the truth about our lives, that we are creatures endowed with the capacity to be recipients of grace and bearers of love, that we are marked by an original stamp of blessing and an indelible sense of belonging to this life. So let us turn towards the Easter day. Let us turn towards the sunrise. Let us turn towards the light. Let us turn towards life. Let us turn towards love. Let us turn. And as the Quaker hymn says, by turning and turning will be our delight. And by turning and turning, we will come round right. Happy Easter. Amen. May you live in blessing.